As we turn to the reading and hearing of God's word, let us pray. Father, may the words of your mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be acceptable. In your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. By your Holy Spirit, you caused the words of Scripture to be written, and so by that same Spirit, be with us here now. We pray through Christ. Amen. The Scripture reading comes to us today from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, a familiar passage verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very close of the age. Friends, the word of God. It's one thing to work among Kurds in exile as we did in Berlin for 23 years from 1987 to 2010. It's quite another thing to live and work among Kurds on their own turf. That was one reason that we were eager to move to Kurdistan. Now we know from experience some of the ways that Kurds are different when they are the majority. We've enjoyed so much, for example, how openly friendly and how much they, how, how hospitable and how they like to laugh. Germans are really great too, believe me, but those aren't exactly the strong suits. <laughs> but we've, I've just seen how deeply grateful, how generous, how it's really been a privilege to live in northern Iraq among the Kurds. Not infrequently, when we're out for a walk in the evening, um, we get invited in by people who don't even know us and people they want to offer tea and cookies or even an evening meal. We've also had the experience of riding in a taxi, and when we get to the end, Greg gets out his wallet to pay, and they say, oh, no, 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 you're Americans, we don't want you to pay. And, and we say, oh, you have families, you need to feed a lot of mouths. No, 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 we, you've already done so much for us, they will say. And what they're referring to is that they enjoy their freedom. They've enjoyed their autonomy since 1991, and they know that the Americans help participate in help creating that freedom. But Kurds are the happy Iraqis, since they have benefited in so many ways from the recent changes in Iraq. 
But sadly, it must be said, the Christians have been the big losers. The best they can say is that we know that you didn't mean for this to happen to us. Or they'll say, who could want a person like Saddam Hussein to stay in power? These are the rather generous statements that they say, considering the immense suffering that, that has come to the Iraqi Christians. Before 2003, up until 2003, there 10% of the population in Iraq were Christians. At this time, it has plummeted to less than 1%. Across the entire Middle East, the same thing is happening among Christians. The hope-filled Arab Spring has turned into a Christian winter. One thing that I have come to appreciate in a new way since moving to Iraq is the teachings of Jesus. They and he are so attractive. Of course, we believe that it is who Jesus is and what he did for us that is of supreme importance. He lived among us, God translated into human flesh, fully human, fully divine. And he died for us, paying the price for your sin and mine, and making it possible for us to begin now living a full and abundant life that extends into eternity. That is the big, huge good news, the gospel. But in a new way, I have come to appreciate what Jesus taught. And in a better way, I understand why it is not unusual for our Kurdish friends to even marvel at some of Jesus' teaching. We come from a culture and heritage so shaped by Christian faith that we don't even see it. But they don't. Remember, it is the teachings of Jesus, his commandments, which we are told to pass on in the Great Commission. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, Jesus said. Having worked for, among Kurds for 30 years now, we, have, we come to see them as like Cornelius in the New Testament. Remember, he was a Gentile, a Roman officer, and, uh, but he was called a God-fearer. Their people, the Kurds, are people who honor God and genuinely want to please him. When we see Kurds kneeling down to do their ritual prayers, we don't sense anything to be feared or something radical, but instead them demonstrating their humility and their respect before God. But we've also seen negative aspects of how at least some Kurds practice Islam. We've come to see that the teachings of Jesus could make a positive impact to the Kurdish culture, even ending, for example, the so-called honor killings when a woman dishonors her family, or blood revenge, or even tribalism that still exists. Especially in light of ISIS and its totally twisted practice 
of Islam, we've come to see how desperately the world needs to know that God is love. And we've come to see that through Jesus, because Jesus represented in his life what he did, his, his death, his resurrection, perfect love. And we have had the opportunity to experience that. Love is not a word that Muslims typically associate with Allah. Many of the teachings of Jesus come from the conflicts that he had with religious leaders. What he taught was often directed at bad religion. In his day, it was basically bad practices that took place in Judaism, but it applies even today to the bad practices of Muslims and even, we must admit, to some of our bad practices. In Berlin, when we lived there during the years, we offered a really interesting, it was great, a Bible study in easy English in our home. Half of the attendees were Germans, the other half were Kurds, half were Christians, including some Kurds that had given their lives to Jesus, and some from other backgrounds. They all came to improve their English, but they were also curious just to read for themselves what is taught in the New Testament. Sometimes Kurds in our Bible study made really refreshing comments about Jesus. They noticed, for example, how often he reached across barriers to those of other religions or even to his enemies, how he affirmed women, and how he would do things uh, to reach out to others that often put him in a difficult place and a great cost, and how he taught us to do the same thing. When we had guests come to Berlin, American guests typically, or even German guests, we would go visit, ask them if they'd like to visit a mosque. Most of our friends had never visited a mosque before, and at the mosque we would go to, there was a German man who was raised as a Christian, but he made a decision as an adult to become a Muslim. And he shared his testimony. One point that he made was, Islam is a religion that is doable. You do what's required. Then he added, it doesn't require impossible things from us, like turning the other cheek when you're struck. But we wondered, isn't it the high, the seemingly un impossible, unrealistic teachings of Jesus that make him so attractive and exactly what the world needs? Let's face it, we are not destined to do just what we can do, but instead we are called to do what the Holy Spirit can to release ourselves and trust God as we ask the Holy Spirit to live and work and witness through us and to do things that in our power would not be possible. Bad religion, be it in Judaism, Islam, or Christianity, puts external controls on human behavior. But Jesus taught self-examination, repentance, 
confession, self or internal control. Some Muslims, for example, would insist that women be covered from head to toe because men can't prevent themselves from lusting after them. Is that true? In contrast, Jesus puts the responsibility on men. But I tell you, Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Self-examination is also what Jesus taught when it comes to judging others. Once while we were visiting Good Kurdish Friends, the television, which normally runs in the background, showed a horrific scene from Iran from a number of years before, where a woman who had been caught in adultery was being put in a gunny sack and being stoned. The man with whom she had had this adulterous affair was hung because it's beneath the dignity of a man to be stoned. The whole scene on television was so horrific that it grabbed our attention and shifted our conversation. Chris said to our hosts that we have a story in the Bible where the same thing was about to happen. A woman caught in adultery was about to be stoned, but Jesus said to the men who were to stone her, let he who has not sinned cast the first stone. And no one could. Immediately, the Kurdish patriarch of the family we were visiting said to us emphatically, that's right, we've heard that story. That's God's word, he said. Friends, the teachings of Jesus are so attractive. Probably the number one question we get is, is it safe where you are? I'm sure you're all wondering too. Well, it has been. We have been there seven years. There has only been one incident, and it was even before ISIS, even though we're only about 45 minutes from Mosul. It was a imam, a, a Muslim priest, he was a preacher, who during his message that's broadcast from a loudspeaker, he said that the places where Christians and non-Muslims were selling alcohol should not exist, they should be removed. Well, with that, there were some young men who took off, who had heard this, and started setting fire to some stores where alcohol was legally being sold. In response to that, there were some secular Kurds, some secular Muslims, who then set fire to the Islamic headquarters. And this started escalating, and it did come down to our city, and, uh, but very, it was quickly ended, and the, the leadership of the government spoke out clearly that this was wrong, and shortly thereafter, um, the Mennonite Central Committee had an interactive consultation to discuss peaceful coexistence. This was in 2011. We attended, and we found ourselves asking the question, what do we as Christians bring to the table to talk about how we can all just get along? Whether that be 
with our friends, our family, in the nation, around the world, what does it take to get along? Well, as we thought about it, we thought of some of the teachings of Jesus. For You know these teachings. For example, and you can fill in the blanks, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And also putting it another way, do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. And lifted to a higher level, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute, persecute you. you. Love your enemies and, and when Kurds here, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That boggles their mind. It seems like an impossible task, again, where God's spirit is working through us. And in the epistles, which reflects not only what Jesus did, but what he said and did, Paul wrote, forgive one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven, forgiven you. you. We could go on and on. You know verses that would also be relevant in situations of conflict. But the question is, what can we bring where there is discord to bring peace in the way that Jesus has taught? 45 minutes south of Duhuk is Mosul, Iraq, which was Nineveh in the Bible. And there you will find, maybe not today, but you could until very recently, find the oldest Protestant church of the Middle East in the old city center that was just fought over intensely in recent days. That was a Presbyterian church. We as Presbyterians had a church there in what is now Iraq before we did in California where I grew up. The Mosul Church building was, dates back to 1840, the congregation sometime earlier. The church was closed before ISIS took control of Mosul because Al-Qaeda had made that neighborhood too dangerous for Christians. A leading elder was killed. Another was shot three times but survived and then immigrated to Sweden. In Duhuk, where we live, a Presbyterian missionary, the Reverend Roger Cumberland, was shot and killed in 1938 as he reached to get some Bibles for two Kurds who pretended to be interested. Today, you can still stand on the roof of Roger Cumberland's house. We were there with a Kurd who has given his life to the Lord. He reached down and he touched an old part of the roof and said, to think I am touching a part of the house that Roger Cumberland built. Roger Cumberland's legacy is still felt in Duhuk. He was a Presbyterian minister, but was the first to engineer the bringing of water from the mountains to the city. And he first connected the old city mosque in the center. He was a man of peace. Friends, not only is Jesus attractive, but so are those who seek to follow after him as, Jesus, as Roger Cumberland did. In fact, I'd like to close with these words from one of Roger Cumberland's 
Letters Back Home. Quote, Do not imagine, friends, that you can get an adequate idea of being a missionary from what I write. There is no substitute for experience. I am sorry that most of you will never have the chance to learn it that way, for it is a great life. Yet the essence of it is simply doing the will of God, each one bearing true and faithful witness to the truth as it is in Christ Jesus, whatever the place and circumstances. He continues, The impression we get of America from this distance persuades me that the witness is needed there quite as much as here. Try it. It is a great life, the only kind of life that is fit to be eternal. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for those who helped us to come to you, through whom we found a living faith and put our trust in you. Maybe for us it was our parents or another relative, maybe a friend, maybe a neighbor. Maybe it was at vacation Bible school or a camp, but in some way, we came to give our lives to you. And uh, it's made a big difference, Lord, and we thank you. It's changed our lives. You've touched us with your grace and your love. And we thank you for growing up in a culture where we've been blessed by so many who have done that, and they've shaped this culture and our lives. We pray now and think about those who live in cultures where that is not the case. And especially for the Kurds, as we've talked about them today, we pray that you would raise up among them a healthy and vibrant church, that maybe even we would hear the gospel come back to us in new ways through their experiences of it. We thank you for the privilege we have to share of your great love right here and around the world for your glory and for the sake of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.